the why it exists, the why of, why do we got to read this thing? Why do we need to spend time in the Bible? And one of the first things I want to say, this isn't really part of my sermon, but I got to say one thing that'll help you if you're not spending time in the Bible, obtain a version you can understand, right? I, I, people ask me from time to time, you know, what is my favorite version? And I'll just go ahead and let you know my, my favorite version for, for both readability. Now, there's two different. There are versions you can read, and they're not necessarily the most accurate, but they are conveying the message. Those are called translations. Okay, then there's transliterations. And transliterations are where they're really being more specific on the word for word. I think you need both. But the problem with a word-for-word word is it doesn't necessarily make for easy reading. It's great for study. You following me? I've had people challenge me, why do you often refer to the Passion Translation or things like that? It's not the most accurate, but it is the easiest to read. And so if you read that in conjunction with another, it, it's like another look at it. Right. Because here's what we're trying to get. And this is what I'll address today. We're trying to get the message. What is the heart of the father saying? And sometimes just like you become nose blind or eye blind, you don't see things. You need to change it up every once in a while just so you're not like, oh, I've read that before. You see. So when you read it in a translation, you're not used to it. It'd be like, wow, I never knew it said that. And then you go back and compare it to a more accurate. So for accuracy, for me, for accuracy and readability, I, both, I like the New American Standard. English Standard Version is very close. Uh, for, for readability, I like the New Living Translation and the Passion Translation. They're both easy to read. Contemporary English is another one. I like lots of them. I, I could go into the Woost and the Weymouth and all the others, but just for simplicity's sake, New American Standard English, and I do not read out of the King James. Forgive me. I don't speak Elizabethan English. I don't hang with anyone that speaks Elizabethan English. And I don't walk around saying, Thus saith thoueth, let's go with the hometh depoeth. Right? So I need to read a translation that speaks like I do. Listen, if you're struggling trying to read something that to you is archaic and you don't speak that way, pretty soon you're going to give up on it. And then you're and the Bible won't do you no good if it's closed sitting on a shelf. You need to read it. And that's what we're coming to do. Why do we need to read the Bible? So now we'll start the message. The, the, the Bible is filled with historical data. But it's not a history book. But I will say this, that even when they think that the Bible has been disproven, if you all follow, it's amazing how they'll make some archaeological discovery that proves it was right all the time. So the Bible's not a history book, though it is the most accurate, in my opinion, of all history books. The Bible has some of the most outstanding and even outlandish stories. In the history of humanity, we're talking about axe heads floating. But it's not a storybook. What the Bible is, and hear me when I say this, it's the message from the creator to the created. It's the creator revealing his nature and his heart to the people he created and who have lost their way. It reveals the Father. 
So we need to read the Bible because it's the only way we're going to get to really know God. Start with me if in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, another thing I'll say as we're getting started. One thing about the Bible is this. Other authors, they write books, and before the books come off the printing press, they're already obsolete. Technology's passed it by. Uh, some new narrative has come along. So before that book even hits the streets, it's already obsolete. The Bible's never obsolete. And this is what it says of itself in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You ready? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Reading it to you out of the Amplified. Another very good translation, by the way. Because when you read it, you can get loud. I know, that was corny. For the word that God speaks, now the, the, that word, word, is logos, which means the written word that God speaks. The logos of God is alive. Do you see that? It's alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. Now, I want to stop right there because I just want to camp out on this. The Bible is alive. The scripture is alive. The logos of God is not dormant. It's not inactive. It's energizing. And now this, the scripture bears witness of itself that's alive. And this word in, is, is consistently, constantly alive. It's not like a battery that runs out of juice. That was alive and is now dead. Oh, man, I almost went street on him. <laughs> Walk up on me from the blind side. This word alive, listen to this. It, 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 Webster's defines it as energizing. Giving vitality and enthusiasm. That's the Webster's definition. Vitality and enthusiasm. And you've heard me say this before. I'm a word nerd. I know. I like looking up things. I think if we're going to use a language, we ought to know what it means. The word enthusiasm comes from the two words, in theo, in spirit. So when Webster says that the word alive means that it gives vitality and enthusiasm, it literally means this. Listen, to infuse with a divine spirit. When the writer of Hebrews said the word is alive, he's literally saying it is the battery to your spirit. When you come to it, it's plugging into life. It's energizing and it's infusing your spirit with a divine spirit in an ongoing cycle. So when you feel like you're running low, you need to go to the Bible. You need to see the, my whole hope today is that we would revalue the book. It's not just, we don't want to dig into it just to get some historical fact or just get some under interesting story. We want it to infuse us. And it's more than capable of infusing you with a divine life, a divine spirit. The word is an energy source for your spirit. Go with me to the, first, the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 2, and I want to read this to you out of the Passion Translation. Listen to this. In the same way that nursing infants cry for milk, 
You must, everyone say must. You must intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. For this quote unquote milk will cause you to grow into maturity. I want to say something about spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is not connected to chronology. When you're born, you're connected to chronology. The more days pass, the older you get. Not so in the spirit. It's possible to have been saved for 40 years and still be immature. Because spiritual maturity does not come by time. Spiritual maturity comes by the intaking or the infusing or the digesting of God's word. It is God's only, hear me when I say this, it is God's only method of producing spiritual mature people. I want to say it again. It's God's only method. So he says you must, this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, fully nourished, and I like this, strong for life. Strong for life. I don't know if you've discovered it yet, man, but life is a full contact sport. Life ain't gentle. Life will knock you down and keep you down if you let it. And the only way you're going to be strong enough to get back up is you've got to have some word infused into your spirit so that when life tries to knock you down, you got it within yourself to get back up. Because you have been infused with an invulnerable, indomitable spirit of God. Go with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 15, verse 16. This says this of the new living. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. I want to say this. If you want to grow, you've got to eat. Imagine that 10 of us go to Chick-fil-A. And we go and, you know, and we order that tasty piece of chicken and those. And, uh, but of, of 10 of us, only nine of us eat. I want to say something that to you who didn't partake. You are not going to get nourished by smell. And you're not going to receive nourishment just by being a part, hear me when I say this, of the congregation of Chick-fil-A. If you want nourishment for yourself, you've got to eat for yourself. You ain't getting mine. You can't have mine because once I've chewed it and swallowed it, it ain't coming back. So you don't get nourishment just by showing up. If you want nourishment, you've got to eat. The word of God is food. Once again, my hope is that we reevaluate it. So it becomes more than just a book sitting on our shelf that we carry to impress people Sunday. We've got to know what this book says. Historical, not so that we have information to beat people up with. And I'll, I'll chase that rabbit down in just a little bit. But we need to know what the message is. Because it's the heart of the Father. 
saying, this is who I am. Know me. This is why, listen, when you know the character of God, even when you read the battles of the Old Testament, you see the mercy of God all wrapped up in it. Because the mercy of God, the scripture says, rejoices against judgment. You're not seeing an angry God. You see a God that's moving on behalf of salvation and redemption. If you see an angry God, you got to keep reading because you're misreading right now. Hmm. Go with me to Joshua chapter one, verse eight. Joshua said this, study this book of instruction occasionally. Continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Listen to this. Only then, everyone say only then. Will you prosper and succeed in all you do? You, you can succeed in some things without God, without His Word, but you'll suffer in other areas. Listen, I've known some very wealthy people in my time, and I wouldn't have wanted to be them because they had money and an abundance of strife. The Bible says he'll give you wealth and he'll add no sorrow to it. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh. Joshua said, when you meditate on this word so you know how to do it. Only then will you succeed, not in just some things, but in everything you do, everywhere you go, every facet of your life. You'll, you'll prosper relationally. You'll prosper emotionally. You'll prosper financially. You'll prosper mentally. You'll prosper physically. Everyone say shalom. That means nothing broken. Nothing missing. Every, what is the will of God? Is it for you to be broken and distraught and discouraged and depressed? No. The will of God for you is shalom. His redemption was not partial. We sang about it this morning. I thank God for his birth. I'm even more grateful for his resurrection. But because of his birth, his life, and his resurrection, you and I have hope. Hope that the will of God will be done in our lives. And the will of God is that nothing is broken and everything that's been shattered gets restored. And my hope and my dreams and my outlook and my life, I'm blessed everywhere I go and everything I put my hands to. I like what Andrew Walmack said this, and I, I, I got to give him credit because it was just so good. He said, the gospel means the, 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 the nearly too good to be true news. I mean, when you hear it, you ought to think that, that that can't be true. It's too good. And when it sounds like it's too good, you're probably just starting to get it. Hmm. Go with me back to the book of Hebrews. We're going to pick up where we left off concerning the logos of God. The writer says this. It is sharper than any two edged sword. This is the written word he's talking about. Penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. 
You know, we often quote the word to use against our environment. We often quote the word to use against our neighbors. But I want to say this. The primary purpose of the word is not to change your neighbor. It's not to change your environment. The primary purpose of the word is to change me. And that's why a lot of us, we shy away from it. Right, listen, Cleve and I were talking about this just before because he got pre- I told him, I said, dude, you better not be preaching my sermon. He's all up in it. And we were talking about sometimes people, they read the word and it's like they get irritated with it. And they, they, they think, now hear me, when I, they think they're getting irritated with it because it doesn't apply to them and they're wasting their time and it makes no sense. But I want to say to you, if when you're reading the Bible, you begin to get irritated, it's because it's messing with your nature and it's trying to deliver you of things that you've gotten used to. And it's irritating you because before the truth ever delivers you, it will irritate you. And before it sets you free, it will frustrate you. So when the Bible is irritating you, know that it's doing its job. Because it's separating you from the things that have kept you broken. You come away from the Bible thinking, I can't have those friends anymore. Well, then dump them. Hello? Hmm. T.D. Jake said it once years ago. He said, if the word of God kills a thing, let it die. So the primary purpose of the word is to change me. It, it addresses, and I wrote this down. It deals with our issues, our sins, our darkness, and our dirty little secrets that we don't confess to nobody. Because the Bible says it sifts, it analyzes, and it judges the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. Mm. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being. Where our soul and our spirit, our bone and our marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thought and the secret motives of the heart. It's alive and it's energized. When we come to the word, the word confronts that area of our life that's unlike Christ. Selah. Notice verse 13. If you would put up Hebrews 4 verse 13 on the screen. It says, there is no creature hidden from his sight. Now, I want to say scholar. Now, whose sight? Most of us would say God. Scholars say he's the, the, the author of Hebrews is still talking about the Logos. So the author of Hebrews, by the Spirit of God, is saying that the Logos of God has sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. No created thing is hidden from God. From the word, the Logos has eyes and sees everything. This ain't no ordinary book. I, one of the things I love about what Rick Renner's been doing recently is he's having a revival of the Bible. Just drawing us back. Listen, <laughs> if you're so spiritual, you don't need the book. <laughs> you're too spiritual. You'll never outgrow the necessity for God's word. Never. The Holy Spirit is showing us that this Bible is more than a book. Listen to this. The Logos is alive. This is what the Bible has said. The Logos is alive. 
The Logos is active. It's not dormant. It does things. The Logos is energized. It's pulsating with power. The life of God is hidden in the pages of this book. And it's the life of God in the message that makes it sacred. Listen, i got to say this. This book is not sacred because of the paper. This book is not sacred because of the ink on the paper. It's not even sacred because it's got gold along the edges. And what makes it sacred certainly isn't the genuine artificial leather that they use to make, to make the cover out of. Pleather does not make it sacred. What makes this book sacred is from the beginning to the end. It's the heartbeat of God. It's God saying, you want to know me? I have sent you a love letter that reveals who I am. I'm going to show you how I weed out evil for your own protection. I'm going to show you how I keep you safe in the den of lions. I'm going to keep you safe when you're, when you're in the fiery furnace. I'm going to show you how I'll deliver you from slavery. I'll show you how I'm going to deliver you into a wealthy place. I'll show you how I'm going to make you more than who you are. The why of the Bible. The Logos, listen to this, the Logos judges thoughts. You might be able to, listen, you may be able to fool me, but you can't fool the Word, because the Logos judges your thoughts. The Logos, listen to this, perceives motives of the heart. The Logos has eyes. And sees everything. And when I meditate on that, mind blown. Hmm. Go with me to the book of John. I want to show you something here. This is, and this is what makes this a Christmas message. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's the Logos, the very same thing. In the beginning was the Logos. The living expression of God, the message of God. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Amen. And then in verse 2, taking it out of the Passion Translation, they were together face to face in the very beginning. This is the Logos. Go down to verse 14 of the same chapter. And the Word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory the glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth see listen if you read this book and you don't get grace all you get is law all you get is code all you see is the thou shalt and the thou shalt not you're not getting the message Understand that even the judgments of God and the guidelines of God and the commandments of God were not, you've heard me say it before, the, the, the guardrails that God put upon your life were not to restrict your joy. They were to preserve your life. Because when you violate His commandments, you put yourself in dangerous places. But when you stay within His Word, you stay within life. It's not about restriction. It's about liberation. He liberates you to know life fully. Are the things you can't do? Well, of course, but any parent tells their children there's things you can't do. Don't put your hand in the fire. You never let me do anything I want. 
I'm not telling you not to do it because I don't want you to do it. I'm trying to tell you not to do it because I don't want to go to the emergency room again. This is why this book is more than a book. It's the living expression of God. It'll never be outdated. It'll never be too archaic. Mm. It's a message that reveals to us his nature, his love, his grace, his redemptive heart. You've heard me say this to you before. A legalist is one who knows the acts of God, but not the heart of God. They know what God did. They just ain't got a clue why he did it. They think God is out to punish for punishment's sake. And that's not God. God's always redemptive in everything he does. <clears throat> so a legalist can tell you what God did, but not why he did it. In the fifth chapter of the book of John, interesting story. Jesus was being confronted by the Jewish leaders for healing a crippled man on the Sabbath. And for this, <laughs> the punishment for doing good was death. Put up on a screen, if you would, John chapter 5, verse 19. Is this okay this morning? So Jesus had done healed this guy, and because of that, they were plotting to kill him. Because he did the, I can't believe you healed on the Sabbath. It's not about whether the man was healed, it's about when he did it. And in verse 19, it says, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them. To who? To the religious leaders of the Jewish people that were plotting. He was getting, he, listen, he was about to lay it down. He was saying to them, he was saying to a very special, specific group of people. Hear me when I say this. People that knew historical data. People who could quote the word in a way you never could. People whose whole life was based on researching and remembering Scripture. Jesus was speaking to them. In fact, in verse 39, jump down there. John chapter 5, verse 39. Before Jesus goes into this long diatribe, and in essence what he says is, you know Scripture, yet you know nothing. That's what he's saying. You know Scripture, but you don't know nothing. In verse 39, he says this, you search the scriptures. Hear what he says, because you think that in them you have eternal life. You think that because you keep the code better than anyone else and you can recite more than anyone else and you can point out how flawed everyone else is. You can point out the prostitute. You can point out the, 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 the tax collector. You can point out the flaws in everyone else. You remember there was one, he said, oh, you're so careful to tithe on the mint and the rue and the coming. You, you're so careful, but you ignore the weightier matters of the law. Wow. What were the weightier matters? Love, yeah. justice, wow. mercy. You miss that. Yeah. But boy, you can measure out the seeds. So he says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Now, remember, he's talking to people that can recite and rehearse. And I mean, they would never lose Bible trivia. Never. You would not want to play a game of Bible trivia with a Pharisee or a priest. They would lay the smack down on you. 
They knew all the scriptures, but they, I like one translation. It says they point to me. So what Jesus is saying, you know all of this, but you're missing the point. Because all of them point to me. And the purpose of the scriptures is to make you like me. They testify of me. Grace and truth came by. This is what I'm saying. If you read it and you don't see grace, you're missing the point. If you don't find truth, and truth does not make you right. I'm chasing a rabbit right here. Some people think the truth is about right and wrong. And they think my truth, in order to be truth, has to make you wrong. This may be improper English, but it's a proper principle. Truth ain't about making you right and them wrong. Truth is about freedom. Freedom is the only litmus test of truth. If the truth you're operating in doesn't set people free, it ain't the truth of God. If it's about you being right and them being wrong, it's the truth of religious men. Mm. Now go down to verse 37. Same chapter. Is this okay this morning? And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. Not that one of you has ever given ear to his voice. These are people that knew Scripture. And he said, but you ain't never given ear to his voice. They could quote the Torah. And they never heard his voice. Listen, just because somebody's religious don't make them godly. Just because they can quote entire passages does not make them someone you want to follow. You've never given ear to his voice or seen his form, his face, what he is like. You have, listen to this, you have always been deaf to his voice and blind to the vision of him. Verse 38, and you have not his word, his thought living in your hearts. The why of the Bible is not for memorization so that we can use it as a weapon against people we disagree with. Listen, over the years, people have used the revelation of Paul to teach slaves to stay in slavery. That was never the intent. Over the years, men have used it to keep women down and out of ministry and silent. That is never the intent. In, in Christ, can I, can I chase something down right now? In Christ, there's neither male nor female. Selah. Read it for yourself. And you have not his word, his thoughts living in your hearts because you do not you do not believe and adhere to and trust in and rely on him who he has sent. That is why you do not keep his message living in you, because you do not believe in the messenger whom he has sent. Verse thirty nine. I'm bringing this to a close, but not quickly. You search and investigate and pour over scriptures diligently. You search and investigate and pour over scriptures diligently. Because you suppose and trust that you have eternal life through them. And these very scriptures testify about me. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I want to talk to you just real Listen, 
If you try to separate the letter from the spirit, the author of it, the love and the grace and the redemptive voice of God, Paul said this, for the letter kills. But the spirit gives life. I wrote this down. The letter without the spirit is a dangerous weapon that has hurt, maimed and ruined many people. Wars have been fought by people who took up the Bible, but not the spirit. Second mm. Corinthians chapter three, verse six out of an, the Amplified. It is he who has qualified us, making us to be fit and worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers of the new covenant of salvation through Christ, not ministers of the law of legally written code, but of the spirit for the code of the law kills, but the Holy Spirit makes alive. If you read the scriptures and you don't see the redemptive love of God at work, read it again. Ask the spirit to teach you. Read it till you hear his voice. That's the point. You need the word of God. You need to hear his voice. So read it till you hear his voice and the love of his heart floods over you. Then even in the stories of judgment, you'll discover the mercy of God. You find truth. Not that keeps people down or people enslaved. You find truth that makes men free. All men, even woo men, are free. Hmm. Our contact with the master is through his word. Our attitude, is this okay? Our attitude toward the word determines the place that God holds in our daily life. I'll say that again. And you can either cover up or throw your hands up and say amen. Our attitude toward the word determines the place that God holds in our daily life. The word should always be the father speaking to us. It should never be the message from an ordinary book. It should be as real to you as though the master stood in the room and spoke to you personally. I don't know how you read the Bible. When I read it, I like to engage my imagination, and I'm right there in it. I've been in the lion's den. I've walked with Paul because I want to put myself there. And listen, the Bible is so energetic and so pulsating with spirit life. And I got to say this, but I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. But you hear people say it all the time, and my concern is that we're devaluing the simplicity of Scripture. When people say things like, I want to run over here or I run over there so I can get in the presence of God. I understand what's being said, but the danger is you're going to think the presence of God is only in this or in that. When you go to the Bible, you ought to know you're sitting at the feet of the Master. How much more in his presence can you get than sitting down, reading the Bible and knowing I'm sitting with Jesus. I'm sitting. The spirit of God is all over the place and he's my instructor and I'm his student. I'm in the presence of God. You want deliverance service? Read the Bible. I already showed you that it'll separate the bone and the marrow. You got things you need to be delivered from. You don't need me to lay hands on you. You need to read the Bible. The Bible will kill that thing. You're engaged in things you ought not to do that a Christian ought not to do. Get into the Bible. You won't do it long. 
I wrote, it's at this point when in these pages you hear his voice and his thoughts. And they fill your heart. His word becomes your healing and your deliverance. I want to say that again. When you hear his voice and his thoughts, the word becomes your healing and your deliverance. Psalm 107 verse 20 says this. He sent his. He sent his. You know, no matter what problem you're having, do you know what God's answer is always going to be? His word. When you pray and ask for money, he's going to give you his word. When you got God, I just need to be free from this pain. And you're going to hear a still small voice say, I want you to read this verse. No, God, I need someone to pray for me and heal me from this pain. And God, the spirit of God is going to say, I want you to read this verse. Why? Because he sends his word to heal. He sent his word and healed them and saved them from their destruction. When you hear his voice and his thoughts, at this point, his word grows mightily and gains the victory and carries the day for you. Acts chapter 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So if you were to ask me, Pastor, why should I spend time? I don't got much time. You don't need a lot of time. It's not about how many hours you read. It's not about how many passages you can quote. I've had people come up to me and say, I bet you I can outquote you. I, I, don't, I, I don't believe I ever laid the challenge down. <laughs> can I, can I, I got put in jail one time. Yes, I did wear an orange suit. And I got put in jail. Some of you know the story. I got put in jail for erotic driving. I'm hot. I even drive erotically. That's, that's what they, when they, look, they took my mugshot and they read it. They said, erotic driving. I was like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm here. I'm driving erotically. I wanted to correct him, but I got arrested by Barney Fife. I thought he'd shoot me if I said something to him. And it was the day before my wedding. So honestly, I thought I was getting, what he, when, when, pranked. I thought I was getting pranked. Up until the time he put me in the back of the car. I was like, okay, you're carrying this a little bit far now. I was waiting for Ronnie Reed to jump out from the bushes, and he never did. So they took me down, and, you know, I'm in there, and I'm in a holding cell, and I'm just having the time of my life because I'm thinking this is the goofiest thing. I'm getting married tomorrow. And the reason I'm sharing this story is when I was in the holding cell, I met a man who could quote the Bible better than any preacher I've ever met. And he was a guy who was chronically, constantly in jail. He told me, he said, he said, I can't make it out there. So every time they release me, I steal another car. I don't do anything to hurt anybody. I just steal a car and they'll put me back in. And this dude could quote the Bible. You hear what I'm saying? This dude said, when we're in the holding cell, I mean, he is like quoting the book of Deuteronomy to me. And I'm amazed. And that was the first time I realized it's not about how much you can quote. It's about has the metamorphosis of your personality and your nature taken place. It's better to have one verse that changes your nature than a whole book that you can memorize. So when you say, Pastor, why should I read the Bible? Because this is your power source. 
Years ago, I had a dream. And I'm closing with this. This is me. I had a dream, and I was just a young Christian. But when I got saved, I just had to, I found out to be abnormal. I thought everyone loved the book. Like, my wife would watch me sometimes. And when I'm done reading the Bible, she, she watched me one time, and I'll kiss it. And I, I think that's a throwback to my Roman Catholic days. I do, but it's still the value I place on this book. I just love it. I want it in my heart. Sorry. I want to know this Bible. Because I want to be like my master. And sometimes I'm ashamed of myself for how little I know of it. But I have a hunger for it. And in this dream, Sister Fowler, put that last slide up. I dreamed that I was standing before a building and it was burning. And I was with a crowd of people. And as I was watching the inferno in the dream, I ran, and it looked like that. I ran into it. It was completely on fire and I ran into it. And the whole crowd in this dream, this vision, they gasped. Because they thought I'd run into my death. And in a few seconds I ran out. And I had a book in my hands. I ran out and I was holding the... It's the only thing I went in to rescue. My whole life was in that house. But the only thing I ran out with was this. And in the crowd, I still remember that they said, you risked your life for that? And I remember, this is all in a dream. You understand, right? I told them in the dream, I said, if I lose everything, but I have this, I've lost nothing. I can get it all back. This is what I, as an early Christian, the Holy Spirit was teaching me. But I said, as I'm standing there and I'm holding the Bible and I'm watching everything, the whole world go up in flames. I said, but if I have this, if I lose this, then I've lost everything. So if you would ask me, Pastor, why do I need to read the Bible? Because it will bring everything to you. It'll bring you back your health. It'll bring you back your mental stability. It'll restore to you the, everything that's been lost from children to jewelry. It'll bring it back. It'll bring it back. And if you keep this, you can live in this world and not be of it. Be above it. But if you, you heard me say this last, is this okay? I'm, I'm not trying to ramble. I told you last week, there's only two people in the world, two people groups in the whole world that are hopeless. Those who are without God. And those who have lost sight of God. You want God firmly in your focus? Keep the book. Amen. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah, Father. Would you lift your hands? Was this okay this morning? Get a version you can read, then read it. It's not about how long. If all you can do is read one verse, that's all you got time for in the morning. Pop it open to somewhere in the Psalms and say, Holy Spirit, teach me. Hmm. Father, we thank you for the spirit of grace that has spoken to us this morning. Father, I thank you that you deliver us from a great many things, not the least of which is a legalistic, religious mindset. 
where we just thought this was about moral codes and length of hair and shortness of skirts. Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes and let us see that this truly is the word of life, that life comes to me through your book. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name, may we treasure it once again. And may the greatest compliment anyone can ever say of us is that we are a man of the book, a woman of the book, people of the book. For we go to your book to be our moral compass. And we know, Father, that in days of darkness, this is the light of men. And it'll turn the light on. So, Father, I pray over the congregation this morning. I pray that as they go forth into their week, Father, may Scripture come to their mind. May the Spirit of grace speak to them and make it alive, the word that they've already hidden in their heart. And Father, in Jesus' name, make us invulnerable to the days of darkness we seem to be abiding in. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen Amen. and Amen. Hallelujah, Father. With that, greet someone next to you, and you are free to go and buy your pastor a Christmas present.